You're not in this story. Yeah, well, we're making it up as we go. Hello and welcome to Making It Up As We Go, a Destiel fan fiction anthology podcast. We're making it up as we go. I'm your host and reader, Nerdy Nerdenstein. The story is ours now. You can't have it back. Please be warned that the stories featured can and will contain explicit sexual content and is not intended for young audiences. Hello. Today, I'll be reading Cupcakes and Kittens, chapters 5 and 6, written by Mandala Rose. The rating for this fic is explicit. The pertinent tags for this fic include Alternate Universe, Coffee Shops and Cafes, Baker Dean Winchester, Reluctant Kitten Owner Dean Winchester, Cat Rescuer Castiel, Two-Person Love Triangle, Online Meeting, Online Flirting, Confidently by Dean, Openly Gay Castiel, Mentions of Past Canonical Character Death, Fluff and Angst, Pining, Slow Burn, Fraudage, Masturbation, Hand Kink, No kittens come to harm in this story. Chapter 5. Mash Three Ripe Bananas Castiel fidgets nervously with the hem of his fuchsia apron. He's still not sure what possessed his brother to choose such garish colors for the coffee shop. Neon pink and green are hardly the first things anyone wants to be visually assaulted with pre-caffeine. In the mid-morning light, however, Castiel has to begrudgingly admit the bold accents do lend a cheery atmosphere to the exposed brick and the black chalkboard behind the counter spanning nearly the entire length of the wall. Whatever else it is, the color scheme is very Gabriel, unrepentantly loud and vibrant in a world full of muted earth tones. And speaking of, his brother chooses that moment to sweep into the shop, as always, hours after opening. Cassie! Has he shown yet? Have I missed him? Oh, wait. You still have that I-can't-tell-if-I'm-constipated-or-about-to-ship-my-pants look you've been wearing for two days, so apparently not. Gabe grins and pulls a pre-packaged biscotti out of the jar on the counter. Glaring at him, Castiel rings up the price of a biscotti on the register and adds it to the tab he started for the shop's owner. He's been trying, quite futilely, to convince his brother that he needs to track how much he's eating away in the shop and do the same for all of the employees. Otherwise, it skews both their inventory and their profit numbers. Of course, Gabe hadn't been at all swayed by Castiel's reasoning. How his brother owned such a thriving series of ice cream shops had been a baffling mystery to Castiel, until he'd learned that much like the sweet bean, 
He leaves the actual managing of those businesses to other people. Per usual, Castiel is torn between being frustrated with his brother's lack of work ethic and impressed with his talent for hiring the right people to do the work for him. He has no real business sense of his own, but a real knack for spotting it in other people, which is the only reason Castiel had told him about Dean's promise to stop by this weekend. This is Gabe's business, after all, and he should probably at least meet the man Castiel has already offered a full-time job to in order to save it. Of course, that is if said man ever shows up. No, Dean hasn't stopped by yet. Castiel needlessly answers his brother's question, choosing to ignore all the references to inconvenient bodily functions. People eat here, after all. He frowns at the lackluster pastry display that is still every bit as full as it was when he stocked it at six o'clock this morning. Okay, people caffeinate here. Hopefully, if Dean hasn't already decided to pass on Castiel's job offer, they'll eat here soon, too. Well, let me know when he arrives. Andy's unloading the truck, right? I'm going to go glare at the kid until he gets nervous and drops something. Dude always shows up hungover and still half-stoned on Saturday mornings. It's hilarious. As Castiel frowns disapprovingly, Gabe saunters towards the back of the shop, where an indeed very hungover Andy is currently regretting his life choices as he unpacks their weekly supply delivery. A routine he completes every weekend without fail. Normally, Cass would never advocate keeping on an employee who regularly comes to work with the after-effects of inebriation so clearly evident. But Andy is always sober during his weekday evening shifts, shows up without fail every Saturday, and most importantly, unpacks the entire truck by himself without complaint, keeping Castiel from having to do it. Feeling his phone buzz in the pocket beneath his apron, Castiel waits until the kitchen door has swung firmly closed behind his brother before retrieving it. The last thing he needs is Gabe finding out about Dee. He's already caught Castiel messaging the man several times at the apartment, but thus far has been satisfied with Castiel's deflections about helping someone with cat rescue stuff. He knows part of that is Gabe still feeling guilty about Castiel having to give up his fostering when he moved in. However, he also knows that no amount of guilt would keep his brother from teasing him mercilessly should he discover the true nature of Castiel's messaging with Dee. Unlocking his smartphone with the fingerprint reader, Castiel opens Dee's newest message. Eager to distract himself from perseverating on Dean's potential visit, he had messaged Dee earlier to ask what his plans were for the day, knowing he doesn't have to work his bar job until the evening. Believe it or not, I sort of have a job interview today. Castiel feels his mood lift instantly. Dee has a job interview? Does this mean the class he's taking is paying off already? He'd been both incredibly happy and a little touched when his friend had told him that Castiel had inspired him to go for his dream job. But he's still surprised Dee is taking action so quickly. Oftentimes people say something like that and then end up not following through, for any number of reasons. How many times had Castiel himself said, if only inside his own head, that he was going to leave Novacorp? In the end, it had taken his father's entire business being exposed as a Ponzi scheme 
and the total collapse of the Novak Empire for him to cut ties. In truth, Castiel is lucky not to be behind bars with his father and older brothers right now. Castiel had worked far enough below Luke, Novacorp's CFO, that he never knew the accounts he was processing were simply shifting money around from one investor to another. The science and technology pioneering the company had promised was entirely a sham. The numerous products and R&D projects boasted about on their website and presented in investor meetings existing on paper only. Wild fabrications. Looking back, he's fairly certain some of those weren't even scientifically possible, which explains why his father and eldest brother Michael took a much more direct role than many company presidents and CEOs, meeting with potential investors personally instead of allowing their sales team to do so. They couldn't risk their deceit being uncovered. Of course, Castiel thinks, pulling himself back to the topic at hand. He might be getting ahead of himself. Dee didn't actually say this interview is for his dream job, and he doesn't want to make any assumptions that could make his friend feel bad about whatever kind of job he might be applying for. He tries to word his question diplomatically, but Dee sees right through his attempt at subtlety immediately. Oh, really? That's wonderful, Dee. What kind of job is it for, if you don't mind my asking? Not another bar job, if that's what you're wondering. The message is accompanied by the winking emoji Dee seems so fond of. Well, whatever position you're interviewing for, I'm certain you'll do great. I hope so. I feel like I'm going to puke. It's too early to know for sure, but this job... It could end up being really great for me. I mean, a lot of people wouldn't think it's that big a deal. But I could be spending my days doing something I love and might get a chance to go into business for myself someday. Castiel frowns to himself as he reads Dee's last message. It hasn't escaped his notice that his friend has an unfortunate and somewhat frustrating tendency to downplay his talents and accomplishments. Well... He supposes that just gives him more opportunity to talk about the other man's many endearing traits, which is certainly no hardship. I think doing something you love is a very big deal, Dee. And if you go into that interview and speak as passionately about this as you do about Led Zeppelin or horror movies, I know you'll succeed. You think? Of course. I'd never even listened to Led Zeppelin before I found myself talking to you. And now I have multiple albums downloaded and know several songs by heart. You're incredibly persuasive. And sidebar, you were right. The Immigrant Song is the best way to wake up annoying brothers who come home in the middle of the night making a bunch of god-awful noise. So thank you. Castiel grins to himself. That had been a memorable Sunday morning. Gabriel had nearly fallen out of bed at Robert Plant's shrill opening vocals. A sneaking suspicion about exactly how little his brother was wearing beneath his satin sheets made Castiel exceedingly grateful he hadn't, however. LOL. Thanks, man. You're the best, you know that? I actually feel a lot better now. I think I'm ready to do this thing. Wish me luck. You won't need it but good luck. Castiel is still looking down at the phone in his hand, 
feeling warm and fluttery at Dee calling him the best, when Gabe strides back into the kitchen, booming. Are you checking the time again? Why? You said you're not even sure when he's free this weekend, didn't you? Startling so badly he nearly fumbles his phone, Castiel scowls at his brother. I'm not sure what his work schedule looks like, no, aside from knowing that he currently has off Tuesdays and Thursdays from 5 to 8. Relax, Castiel. I'm sure he'll show up. And if he stands you up, you'll only have to suffer through two more incredibly awkward baking classes together before you never have to see him again. Ignoring the way his stomach suddenly drops at the thought of never seeing Dean again, Castiel grumbles. It's not a date, Gabriel. It's a business opportunity, one we need in order to save this business. So please, if he does show up, try not to ruin it by being... Gabe grins easily. Myself? Exactly. Before Gabe has a chance to respond, they both turn at the faint tinkling of the bell above the sweet bean's door. Castiel grips the edge of the countertop to keep standing upright at the sight of Dean striding into his coffee shop like a rock star in thigh-hugging jeans and a fitted black leather jacket tucking his sunglasses into the collar of his graphic tee beneath. The sun shines brightly behind him, spotlighting the man in the doorway and nearly blinding Castiel. Or maybe that's just Dean. Gabe's voice is suddenly right next to his ear, blissfully too low for the man across the room to hear as he whispers, Dios mio, are you sure this isn't a date? Unfortunately, he doesn't have time to elbow Gabe in the ribs before Dean spots them. Hey, Cass. Hello, Dean. Castiel smiles, wondering if he's imagining the way Dean's entire expression seems to light up when he sees Castiel behind the counter. He's certain he's not imagining the way Dean's eyes rove up and down his form, though he is a little disappointed when he finds out why a moment later. Dean grins. Cute apron. Do I get one like that if I start working here? What's wrong, Dino? Gabe asks before Castiel can respond, arms folded and a challenging smirk on his face. Think a real man can't pull off pink? Snorting, Dean answers, pretty sure Cass can pull off anything. Seeming to realize what he just said, he blushes before rushing on. I was actually thinking it'll match the one I have at home. Gift from my kid brother. Speaking of brothers, let me unfortunately introduce you to mine. Castiel jumps in, eager to save both Dean and himself from any more embarrassment, though introducing him to Gabriel seems counterproductive to that goal. This is Gabriel Novak, owner and proprietor of the Sweet Bean, and general bane of my existence. I'm most proud of that last title, Gabe says with a grin, reaching out to shake Dean's hand. Dean Winchester, Dean says, shaking Gabe's hand firmly. Nice to meet you. Novak, like Novacorp? Dean grins, clearly thinking he's making a joke. Exactly like Novacorp, Gabriel beams. What? Cassie didn't tell you. Dean's eyes widen. You're shitting me. Not at all. Cassie and I are the youngest and currently only unincarcerated sons of the infamous Charles Novak. 
Wow. Dean looks stunned. I can't believe you're one of those Novaks. Excuse me, I haven't been one of those Novaks since I was 17, Gabe says indignantly. Just ask my mother. Cassie was, though. Good little corporate soldier, right up until he discovered what a fraud our dear old dad was and finally staged that teenage rebellion he'd been putting off for a decade. Cut ties and came to work for me. His brother looks at him proudly and Castiel flushes. Gabe makes it sound like something heroic. But Castiel still feels sick when he thinks of all the people he'd unknowingly helped his family swindle. Sure, most of them had been well enough off that the losses they suffered at the hands of Novacorp wouldn't ruin them, but not all. I can't believe Cassie didn't tell you, Gabe goes on, looking at Cass admonishingly. It's pretty much the most interesting thing about either of us. No, Gabe, unlike you, when I meet new people, I don't generally lead with our family shame. Hey, Gabe defends, pointing a finger at Castiel. I've been getting laid off the Novak name for years, and I don't plan to stop now. It's the only good thing that name's ever done for me. Filthy, rich, renegade business heir plays so much better than moderately well-to-do ice cream peddler. That doesn't even make any sense. If you actually had any money tied to the company, all your assets would be frozen, like mine, Castiel argues. Well, sure, but I don't tell them that part, Gabe winks. Sighing heavily, Castiel decides the best course of action is to move on and hope he can head off the worst of Gabriel's bad behavior before he sends Dean running. So, now that you've met Gabriel and heard our embarrassing family story, this is the sweet bean. He says, gesturing around at the brick and neon decor. Dean turns around in a slow circle, nodding. Nice. I'm digging the aesthetic. Really? Castiel asks in surprise. Yeah, the brick makes it feel a little rustic, but the bright colors make it feel a bit fresher. Not just the kind of coffee shop you can visit in the morning, but an all-day kind of place, you know? Exactly, Gabriel crows. That's what I've been telling him. I don't want to be the kind of coffee shop that's packed between six and eight in the morning and then dead until closing. So... You're going to want something to draw in the younger crowd, Dean says thoughtfully, nodding his head. Or families. Castiel can already see the wheels turning in Dean's mind, as he's probably planning out a full evening pastry menu. You got something in mind? Gabe asks with a raised eyebrow. Maybe. Cass said you own sweet scoops, too. Now, I know you don't want to just sell your ice cream here and become your own competitor, but what if you use it as a base for other desserts and drinks? You could draw people in with a familiar name, but the product lines wouldn't overlap. You could even double up on some of your most popular flavor names, too. People might not be able to get a waffle cone with chocolate pecan ice cream here, but they could get a frozen mocha paired with a chocolate pecan cookie, or mocha pecan latte with a slice of chocolate pecan pie. I'm hungry and you're hired. Cassie, show him the kitchen. Castiel can already see the dollar signs bouncing around in Gabe's eyes. Yes, this was an excellent idea. Would you like to see the kitchen, Dean? Castiel asks with a smile, noting the way Dean's eyes had lit up like a small child on Christmas morning at the word. Hell yes, comes the exuberant response. 
Chuckling, Castiel leads the way down the narrow hallway next to the counter that holds the entrances to the kitchen and bathrooms. Dean steps through the swinging double doors and gapes, mouth hanging wide. You have this kitchen and you've been buying frozen baked goods? He looks offended at the very suggestion. Castiel leads him over to the three long stacked stainless steel ovens. Well, we do have to heat some of them up in the ovens, he says sheepishly. Dean rests a sympathetic hand on the first oven's gleaming steel door. Oh, sweetheart, he says sadly. What have they done to you? Turning, Dean points to another tall oven with two sets of glass double doors. And you've got a proofer? A what? Castiel asks, tilting his head quizzically at Dean. Dean turns back to look at him, mouth opening to presumably answer his question, when he bursts into laughter instead. What's so funny? Castiel asks, narrowing his eyes. <laughs> Nothing, Dean chortles, waving him off. You just reminded me of someone. Before Castiel can ask who, Dean continues. A proofer is a special oven for warming bread dough so the yeast can rise. Oh, you need a special oven for that. Whatever his protest that he's not a real baker, Dean has clearly done his research when it comes to his desired profession. Dean grins fondly before his eyes go wide again when they reach the two mixers, a smaller one resting on a stainless steel tabletop, and one so large Castiel finds even the sight of it intimidating, sitting on the floor next to the table. Cass, you don't have a coffee shop that sells baked goods. You have a bakery that sells coffee. Hmm. Castiel hums in agreement. Well, in that case, I would very much like for it to be a bakery that also sells baked goods. Would this kitchen be able to produce enough pastries for the coffee shop while also allowing you to operate your own business? I meant it when I said I want you to be able to sell your own products, independent of the sweet bean. Uh, yeah, Cass, this'll do. Dean says quietly, looking a little overwhelmed. Does that mean you might be interested? Castiel asks cautiously. After a long, lingering look around the gleaming kitchen, Dean takes a deep breath, exhaling slowly before turning to Castiel with a lopsided grin. I'm in. Rolling over with a groan, Dean slaps his hand over the phone on his nightstand, sluggish fingers fumbling for the side button that will silence his alarm. Like he'd told CJ, this is normally a song he reserves for scaring the piss out of a sleeping Sam during his visits home from school, but Dean knew he'd need something a little more urgent than his usual morning chimes to pull him out of bed at 3 a.m., Today is his first day of work at the Sweet Bean, which means it's his first official day as a baker and his first day keeping baker's hours. Not, of course, that Dean has the first fucking idea what he's doing here. 
Whipping up apple pie and buttercream frosting at home with his beat-up old hand mixer is a far cry from baking enough pastries to sustain a business in that fancy industrial kitchen with its three ovens and giant-ass floor mixer that, quite frankly, scares Dean a little bit. It's just a dry run, he reminds himself as he brushes his teeth after a five-minute shower, repeating the words for what must be the 75th time since he's accepted Cass's offer. That had been more than two weeks ago, since Dean had needed to put in his two weeks at the roadhouse. At least that's what he had told Cass. Truthfully, Ellen would have gladly let him leave without notice, and no hard feelings for an opportunity like this, but Dean needed the time. He'd spent the past two weeks reading every internet blog and article he could find on how to start your own bakery, educating himself on everything from the various ovens and pieces of equipment he'd seen in Cass's kitchen, to how to scale up recipes, to planning out his first additions to the sweet beans menu. Still, though, he feels about as far from ready as it's possible to be, which is problematic, given that he's due at the bakery in an hour. Fortunately, Cass had the foresight to suggest that Dean give himself a week to acclimate to his new culinary environment before his grand opening. This week will be spent with Dean adapting some of his favorite recipes to produce coffee shop quantities, learning the temperament of his new ovens, finalizing his menu, and organizing any last-minute supplies or ingredients he's going to need to prep for his first official sales day one week from today. Spitting out his toothpaste, Dean runs a hand over his jaw as he takes in his appearance in the mirror above the bathroom sink. As tempting as it is to skip shaving at this ungodly hour, the bloodshot eyes and scruff combo make him look somewhere between hungover and haunted. Not exactly the professional baker who totally has his shit together vibe that Dean's going for. Besides, he'd at least like to get the chance to bake something before Cass regrets hiring him. Not that he's prettying himself up for Cass, he reminds himself as he lathers up his face and neck with his favorite peppermint-scented shaving cream. It's not like that. It's not. Cass is his boss, his very professional, very handsome, very sex-haired, very perfect-ass and watermelon-crushing-thighs-having boss. Oh, and the arms. God damn those arms. In class, Dean had forced himself to become incredibly focused on his own baking every time Cass stirred something. In fact, he's fairly certain a good part of the problem with Cass's leather impersonating pie crust was that the man had overmixed it because Dean was too busy ogling the way his biceps moved beneath the short sleeves of the t-shirt he'd finally swapped the button-downs for to stop him. Baking class has been over for more than a week now, though, which means that Dean hasn't seen Cass since he handed him the list of ingredients he'd needed in order to get the kitchen set up and running after their last class. He hadn't realized just how much he'd looked forward to those three hours twice a week. Seeing what new disaster Cass was going to concoct in their kitchen and trying to help him bake his way out of it had become the highlight of Dean's week. Aside from messaging with CJ, of course, which is pretty much the highlight of Dean's every day. He has Cass's phone number now, for business purposes, and he'd almost been tempted to text him once or twice, but that just seemed weird. All of their conversations had centered around baking. 
What would they even talk about over text? Cass might be the most attractive man Dean's ever met, and he's a Novak to boot. His money might be unavailable at the moment, but it still exists, and in very large quantities. It's no wonder the guy doesn't know how to cook. He's probably never had to. More accustomed to catering services and five-star restaurants than preparing food for himself. His fridge probably only holds fancy, overpriced, vitamin-infused, volcanic spring mineral water that doesn't smell vaguely like rotten eggs and taste like iron, the way Dean's tap water does. What would Dean even say to someone like that in a text message? How's it going? Here, check out this cute video of my dumbass cat pouncing on its own shadow. No, those kinds of conversations are best left for CJ, the dorky, would-be cat rescuer who's quickly becoming Dean's closest friend and confidant. Conversation topics are never hard to come by with CJ, who has a way of cutting straight through Dean's bullshit and drivel about the latest Marvel movies to his buried insecurities and leading Dean into the kinds of meaningful conversations he usually runs screaming from. Somehow it's easier to talk to CJ about stuff, knowing that he doesn't have to know any specifics, doesn't know the shitty day-to-day details of Dean's life, doesn't know that Dean's dream job is something hundreds of bored housewives do out of their own kitchens as a side gig. As nice a guy as Cass seems, this coffee shop is just a detour for him, something to keep him busy until his assets are unfrozen. Dean must be a joke to a guy like that. Nothing good for Dean can come from mixing business with pleasure here, no matter how attractive his boss's other assets are. Dean rinses off his razor and runs a thumb along his clean-shaven jawline before picking up his phone, leaning against the bathroom countertop as he scrolls through his message history with CJ, rereading their conversation from the night before. So, tomorrow's sort of my first day at my new job, and I just wanted to say thanks again. I don't know if I would have ever done this without you, man. Sort of? And I think you would have eventually. You are a very determined individual. But I'm very happy if I helped in some small way. Believe me, you helped. Still are helping, in fact. And yeah, it's more orientation than actually working. Ah, orientation. I hope you don't have to watch too many of those horribly acted sexual harassment videos. Dean had snorted when he read that last night, taking a moment to imagine what a sexual harassment video created by Gabe might be like. Before he could explain to CJ that it's not that kind of orientation, his phone had buzzed again. Are you nervous? Uh... By nervous, do you mean completely panicked and feeling like I'm going to hurl? Because, yeah, I still can't believe they're actually taking a chance on a nobody like me. Good things do happen, D, And you're not a nobody. Not to me. Feeling himself blush all over again, Dean presses the side button on his phone, causing the screen to go dark and reflect his soft, pleased smile back at him in its shiny black glass. For a guy who claims to not know how to flirt, CJ sure knows exactly what to say to have Dean acting like a crushing teenage girl. Maybe that's what it is, though. CJ's not flirting. Dean's no stranger to flirting. He's been the deliverer and receiver of just about every cheesy pickup line known to man, 
and he's pretty much immune at this point. CJ, though, he doesn't really flirt or hint or innuendo. He just says things. Really sweet, really real things, like he means them. Dean's not sure what to do with that. He's got no defense against honesty. Of course, it's not like it means anything. Not really. CJ is just his friend. His incredibly sweet, somewhat socially awkward friend that has no idea what he probably thinks are just honest and straightforward observations happen to be some of the sweetest, most romantic shit anyone's ever said to Dean. Especially anyone who wasn't actively trying to get in his pants. And he definitely has no idea the mess that's making of Dean's head. Resting safely outside of the splash zone on the vanity countertop, his phone starts blaring the chorus to hair as Dean runs product-covered fingers through his own shower damp strands. Glancing at the time to see it's only 3.30, he smirks as he wraps a towel around his waist. It probably means the nerd hasn't gone to bed yet. Most likely he's pulling an all-nighter to finish some paper or study for some exam. Or hell, for all Dean knows, maybe just to study for the fun of it. Who can possibly understand his little brother's nerdly ways? Still, though, it's sweet of him to call. Dean can already feel his first-day nerves calming, the knots in his stomach loosening at the prospect of talking to his brother. "'Morning, Sammy,' he greets gruffly as he answers the call. Sure, he might be really touched Sam thought to call, but there's no need for Sam to know that. Dean! Sam drags out the name in an excited half-shout, which immediately falls into a sulkier tone. Dean, I lost my shoe. Sam? Are you drunk? Dean doesn't know whether to be shocked or proud. Not only is Sam clearly inebriated, but he's drunk on a school night. Mm-hmm, Sam agrees, and Dean grins, picturing his little brother nodding even though Dean can't see him. Don't you have class today? Dean asks mildly, feeling like he should at least pretend to be the responsible older brother once in a while. Not till one. Sam slurs into the phone. Morning class is canceled. So you just decided to get hammered instead? Not that I don't approve, but is this one of those warning signs the after-school specials warned me about? It's not a warning sign, Dean. Sam pouts. It's just... There's this girl. Ah. Dean responds as the grin spreads across his face. Now this is more like it. His little brother is finally loosening up and having the true college experience. Not that Dean has any first-hand experience with that, but come on, he's seen TV. Yeah. Sam's voice takes on a dreamy quality, and Dean imagines he's probably leaning against the wall and staring off into space with some dopey, lovesick expression on his face. What a girl. So, this girl's got a name? Sarah. She's an art history major, and she's smart. And nice and pretty. And smart, nice, pretty art history major Sarah is the reason for your Cinderella impersonation? Her friend was having an art show and there was a, a you know, a thingy afterwards with drinks and little, little food things. You mean a reception? Yeah, a reception. 
you got shit-faced at an art show reception? Dean may not know a lot of fancy college artists, but he's pretty sure if Sam was this wasted at this Sarah girl's friend's art show, he's blown any shot he may have had there. No, Sam protests. That was at the after party. Ah, Dean says with an eye roll. Of course, the after party. Putting away his deodorant and razor, Dean makes his way down the short hallway to his bedroom as Sam keeps talking. Shh, Dean, gotta be quiet, he scolds, as if Dean were standing right next to him instead of almost 200 miles away. I have to sneak into my dorm room. I can't wake Brady. He's got an early class. I gotta be still. Still. Sam trails off, searching his liquor-pickled brain for the right word. Stealthy? Dean supplies helpfully as he pushes open the door to his bedroom. Yeah, that, like a ninja. Dean can almost picture the awful ninja moves his gangly brother is performing outside his dorm room door. Yeah, Sammy, he says with another fond eye roll as he walks back into his bedroom. You're a drunk ninja. Ah, son of a bitch, Cupcake. Dean nearly leaps out of his skin, hopping on one foot in combination of pain and terror when he feels tiny claws latch into the exposed skin of his calf, where Cupcake has pounced on him from behind the bedroom door. The claws flex once more before the kitten bounds away again, skidding into the doorframe on her way out of the room. You're like a drunk goddamn ninja who sheds. Dean hollers after the retreating ginger blur. Dean, Sam asks through the phone. Are you talking to me or the cat? Both, Samantha, Dean answers shortly. And the fact that you even got to ask me says just how goddamn much you need a haircut. Thirty minutes later finds Dean standing outside the Sweet Bean's rear entrance, where Cass said he could park. Dean pulls the collar of his leather jacket up around his ears for warmth as he tugs his phone out of his jacket pocket to text Cass. Even in May, it can be chilly this early in the morning. As he unlocks his phone, his fingers pull up his Twitter DM with CJ on autopilot, and he's got his message to Cass halfway typed out before he catches himself. Well, that would have been embarrassing, he mutters to himself as he deletes the words, Hey, I'm standing outside, let me in, from the chat box. That's certainly one way to get rid of your anonymous internet crush. Once he's finally managed to type the same into a new text message to Cass this time, Dean hits send and waits for a response, tucking his hands into the pockets of his leather jacket. He has only a minute to wait before the large green door swings open in front of him, a rather grumpy-looking Castiel squinting at him from behind it. Looking between Dean and his vehicle, Cass frowns, looking momentarily disappointed before he blurts out, That's not what I pictured you driving. Taken aback, both by the blunt statement and a total lack of, Good morning, Dean, how are you today? Dean blinks. After a moment, he realizes that this is actually the first time Cass has seen what Dean drives since he has always parked in the front lot during their shared class while Dean preferred the less busy side lot, a long-standing habit he inherited from John, to make sure his baby doesn't get dinged by some asshole who doesn't know how to park in the center of a goddamn parking spot. 
Not that it really matters right now, of course. Uh, yeah, he says, clearing his throat as he gestures to the rusting and dented pickup truck he's been driving for the past year. Used to belong to my dad. It's not my main car, but she needs some work right now. I've been saving up some money to fix her up, but I uh, uh, spent it on the baking class instead. Dean blushes, not sure why he's sharing all of this with Cass, a guy who's probably never had to save up for anything in his entire life, and standing in an alleyway next to a dumpster, no less. Feeling more than a little embarrassed by the rust bucket behind him, he thinks longingly of Baby's sleek black frame, currently sitting under a tarp behind his dad's trailer. He's lucky his dad had held on to the old truck he'd used to transport car parts for the garage. A classic car like Baby takes a good deal of maintenance and TLC, and once they'd lost the garage, well, Dean's line cook salary only stretches so far. Eventually, he'd had to choose between putting Baby out to pasture or pushing her too far and doing some real damage. So, uh, can I come in? Oh, I, um, sorry, of course. Cass blushes this time as he steps out of the way and motions for Dean to come in. I apologize, Dean, he says as he leads the way down the narrow hallway and out into the shop. I didn't mean to. Cass trails off, seeming to second-guess whatever he was going to say, replacing it with, I'm useless before coffee. Ducking behind the counter, he pulls down a ceramic coffee cup and fills it from the drip coffee decanter on the back counter. Would you like a cup? He asks Dean, handing over the already filled cup and pouring himself another when Dean agrees, and takes a seat on one of the stools at the end of the counter. Dean can't help but stare at Cass as he sets the containers of cream and sugar between the two of them before doctoring his own cup. Now that they're in the light of the shop, Dean can see his bleary eyes and must brown hair more clearly. He can tell that, like him, Cass has showered and shaved already this morning, but he still seems near asleep, with half-closed lids and pinked cheeks, and it looks like he gave up trying to battle his wayward locks into submission much sooner than usual. He's adorable. Sexy and cute. Unfucking fair is what it is. Why are you smiling at this ungodly hour? Cass asks him a moment later. Oh, God, you aren't a morning person, are you? Dean chuckles. Kinda. Which is probably a good thing if I want to be a baker. Though this is pretty early, even for me. I take it you're not? He asks as innocently as possible as Cass glowers at him. I'm beginning to wonder if frozen pastries were really that bad. Dude, Dean says, mock offended, before adding, How have you managed opening a coffee shop every day if you hate mornings this much? You just answered your own question, Cass says, pointing at the mug in his hand. Coffee shop. Seeing that his mug is nearly empty, Cass directs a grumpy frown at it before turning back to the decanter for a refill. A sudden surge of affection washes over Dean, 
and it's so eerily similar to the way he feels every time CJ says something adorably dorky in their constant stream of messages that the feeling is followed by a cold wave of panic. Tearing his eyes away from Cass's ass before the man can turn back his way, Dean stutters out an excuse about needing to get started in the kitchen and beats a hasty retreat down the hallway, not breathing properly until the kitchen doors swing shut behind him. Looking around at the gleaming stainless steel, he suddenly finds that he's a lot less nervous about his baking when it's either that or face Cass. Having a hopeless crush on the internet friend he'll probably never meet in real life is one thing. Developing feelings for the hot new boss he has to see every day is quite another. Dean can't afford to let either his dick or his heart screw this opportunity up for him. Firmly resolving to put Cass out of his mind, he washes his hands and goes to work. Chapter 6. Add Bananas and Milk to Mixture Dean's been at the coffee shop for nearly a week when a familiar red head of hair bounces through the doorway and spreads her arms wide. Sup, bitches? Charlie? Small world. Dean grins as he slides a fresh plate of blueberry scones and peach streusel muffins onto the countertop. Definitely wasn't expecting to see you here. You're telling me? Charlie answers excitedly. You're Dean the new baker? I had no idea. She quickly snatches a pre-cut piece of muffin from the platter before Dean can lower the glass dome over top, her fingers darting past the hand-lettered sign on the counter. Free samples. Homemade pastries available daily beginning next week. OMG, this is amazing, Charlie declares around a mouthful of peach streusel. Cass made a good call hiring you. Well, I'm just starting out, Dean admits, rubbing the back of his neck sheepishly. But Cass decided to take a chance on me. Is that so? Charlie asks coyly as she swallows the last of her free sample. I knew he'd appreciate my interfering sooner or later. Dean's forehead wrinkles in confusion. Interference? He and Cass met in baking class. How could the pet store girl have interfered in that? He hadn't even been aware that she and Cass knew one another until just now. Before he can ask, though, Charlie prattles on. Speaking of which, how are things going with the boss man? He's dreamy, right? She asks, waggling her eyebrows and shooting him a salacious grin. Feigning dumb because he is not talking about how hot his new boss is with Charlie especially not in the coffee shop where said boss could walk in at any minute. He fixes an innocent expression on his face as he answers, You mean Gabe? Not really my type. You know I mean Cass, Charlie retorts, tossing a balled-up napkin that Dean deflects with a grin. Fortunately, she's quickly distracted by another sudden thought. And oh, what happened with the kitten? Were you able to find it a good home, or did you take it to a shelter? Actually, she's, uh, still at my place. Sam, my brother who found the kitten, kind of got attached to the little fuzzball. He lies. 
He can tell by the glint in Charlie's eye that she's not buying his bullshit for one minute, though. Uh-huh, she responds disbelievingly. And what did Sam name her? Dean blushes and clears his throat. Cupcake, he says quietly as Charlie chortles. Cupcake, that's perfect, Dean. What about cupcakes? Dean nearly jumps out of his skin when Cass appears from the hallway leading to the office, where he'd been going over the updated supply order Dean had given him for the next week. Ignoring Charlie's quiet snort, he answers, I was just thinking that I should make some cupcakes for the shop, to promote the bakery, not just scones and muffins. It might be easier to get into the market for cakes and cupcakes at first than catering for breakfast pastries and whatnot. Plus, I'm taking Missouri's decorating class now and I could use the practice. I mean, I wouldn't trust myself to make someone's wedding cake just yet, but I think I could probably handle some birthday cupcakes. Cass hums. I think that's a great idea, Dean. You could advertise gourmet cupcakes, and once you do start getting larger catering orders, and you will. He levels Dean with a knowing look that makes Dean's palms a little sweaty. You'll be able to provide dessert options in addition to breakfast pastries. Have you thought of a name for your bakery yet? Um, yeah, Dean answers nervously. The family business bakery. Opening a bakery was always my mom's dream, but she put it on hold so my dad could open his auto shop instead. They were saving money so she could start her bakery once me and Sammy got a bit older, but then she got sick. Most of their savings went to cover her medical bills, and Dean clears his throat. She passed away before they could save up enough to try again. He risks a glance at Cass's face and has to quickly look away again at the soft expression he sees there. Dean's not about to get teary-eyed in front of his sexy as sin boss. He's not. I think that's a beautiful tribute, Dean. Dean just nods, throat too tight to explain that it's a kind of tribute to his dad, too, and the business he loved and lost. Dean might not have wanted to spend his life as a mechanic, but he hopes that at least a little part of his dad might have been proud that Dean's finally going to carry on at least one Winchester family business. I know it doesn't exactly match the aesthetic around here, he tells Cass apologetically. It's your business, Dean. You should name it what you want. Besides, Cash gestures around them. Not matching is the aesthetic around here. Do you have an idea for a logo? Charlie asks softly next to him, and Dean realizes at some point she's pulled a laptop out and is eagerly typing away. Cass smiles. I see you and Charlie have already been talking. But in case she didn't say... She's our part-time web designer and general computer guru I told you about. The one who will help set up your website. It was also her idea for me to take that baking class. Cass shoots Charlie a fondly exasperated look, and Dean nods again. That explains what Charlie meant by interfering earlier, he supposes. Um, I haven't really thought about a logo yet, he admits. Hell, until a few weeks ago, Dean hadn't seriously thought about opening his own business at all. But here he is. What about something tied to your mom? Charlie asks. Like her favorite flower or something? Dean blinks. He's not really sure what his mom's favorite flower even was. His dad wasn't really the flower-buying type. 
Dean feels a sudden sense of loss. Knowing with both his parents gone, this is one more thing about them he'll never know. Cass's voice pulls him out of that melancholy train of thought. What about those measuring cups you have hanging in the kitchen? Were they your mother's? Yeah, Dean admits. Surprised and a little embarrassed, Cass had noticed the dull, dented metal cups mixed amongst the shiny new steel. I don't use them here since I measure everything by weight, but I thought it'd be nice to have something of hers around. Then I think it only fitting that they be a part of the family business logo. Can you incorporate them somehow, Charlie? Sure. Can I see them? Dean moves to the kitchen to fetch Mary's measuring cups and brings them back to the counter, setting them carefully in front of Charlie with all of the smaller cups nestled into the one-cup scoop. With Dean's permission, Charlie snaps a picture with her phone, and a few short minutes later, Cass and Dean both watch as Charlie works her Photoshop magic, removing the countertop from the background, and with a series of clicks turning the photograph into something more closely resembling a sketch or an illustration. After carefully adding the letters FBB to the bottom of the largest measuring cup, tweaking various settings until the words look like they were part of the image all along, she spells out the entire name, Family Business Bakery, to the left of the measuring cups. There, she says, sitting back in her stool and turning the screen to face Dean more fully. I need to clean it up still, but what do you think about the general idea? There's nothing for it. Dean's definitely getting teary-eyed this time. He licks his lips and actually fucking sniffles a little before he's able to answer Charlie. It's perfect. Thanks, Charlie. Thanks, both of you. Dean looks shyly at Cass, who's absolutely beaming at him, and has the sudden, odd wish that CJ could be here, looking at Dean proudly like that. For some reason, the strange juxtaposition makes Dean feel both slightly uncomfortable and a little sad. He quickly looks back to his new business logo, trying to shake the feelings as he finishes up his workday. Hours later, Dean is still feeling slightly off-kilter when his phone buzzes with a new message as he's climbing into bed at the respectable hour of 8 o'clock in the evening. Baker's hours. He grins down at the phone before typing out his response. Flirting with CJ is second nature by now, even if Dean's pretty sure the guy only picks up on it about half the time. I thought about you today. Oh yeah? Nice thoughts, I hope. Always. And at least half those times, Dean's left wondering if CJ is flirting back. So what were you thinking? I had the opportunity to watch a friend take a big step in his family business. He's having a decidedly better experience with that than either you or I did. I know it was a very frightening step for him to take, but I can already see how much it means to him to be doing what he's doing. It made me very happy for him, of course, but it also made me think of you and the steps you've taken to follow your own dream. Before Dean can finish puzzling that connection out, Another message comes through. I want you to know I'm very proud of you, Dee. I know you've made a lot of big changes when it comes to your career and your future recently, and they haven't been easy. 
but I can already tell that you are happier now than you were when we first started talking. Aw, shit, there he goes again. Just saying shit like that. Like people actually talk to Dean that way. It takes Dean a full minute before his brain can function well enough to begin typing a coherent reply. Thanks, CJ. That means a lot. I just hope I don't fuck it up. You won't, D. I know that you won't. Oh yeah? How do you know that? I have faith in you. Dean swallows. CJ has faith in him? How? Why? No one has ever had faith in Dean before. Well, no one except for Sam. But he's pretty sure little brothers don't count. And his mom. But moms definitely don't count. He doesn't deserve that kind of devotion, especially not from someone as funny and kind and clever as CJ. I don't know, man. I wouldn't get my hopes up if I were you. I'm just a fuck-up ex-grease monkey who lives in my dad's old trailer. I didn't even graduate with my high school diploma, for fuck's sake. Only went back and got my GED because my little brother refused to go to college if I didn't. And I'm just some washed-up, penniless former paper pusher who lives on his brother's charity and watches far too many internet cat videos. Hope is all I have. Dean chortles. Fuck, he loves this snarky asshole. He blinks. Nope. Nope, 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 nope. Shoving the L word firmly back in its box and slamming the lid closed, he shakes his head defiantly. No, no way. Dean doesn't. He couldn't. He's never even met CJ for crying out loud. There's no way he could be in L word with the guy, right? It's just an expression. People say they love things all the time, and it doesn't mean anything. Dean loves lots of things. Sam, his car, pie. Okay, bad examples. He's pretty sure he loves Baby almost as much as he loves Sam. And Dean and Pi have been in a serious, committed relationship since at least 2003. Still, though, he can't possibly love CJ like that. He doesn't even know what the guy looks like. They've sent each other loads of pictures. Dean's mainly of Cupcake and CJ's of random things that annoy him about his brother, like socks on the back of the sofa or keys somehow left on top of the toaster, but never anything that shows their faces. Besides, how can Dean even be thinking that word about anyone when he spends most of each day trying to fend off inappropriate thoughts about his sexy sort of millionaire boss? Dean would be an outright liar if he tried to deny the absolutely insane levels of attraction he feels towards Cass. It doesn't help that he's about 99% sure that Cass is at least somewhat attracted to him in return. He's caught those intense blue eyes lingering on various parts of his body on more than one occasion. Of course, if Dean's attraction were just physical, it wouldn't be so bad. Speaking completely objectively, Cass is a fucking knockout. Dean would have to be blind and deaf because sweet mother of pie, that voice, not to notice. And having feelings for someone he can't see or touch or even have goddamn phone sex with? That's bound to create some pent-up sexual energy 
that's just looking for a whiskey-voiced, sex-haired outlet. But unfortunately, it's not just that, and Dean knows it. Cass is sweet and generous and thoughtful. Dean still gets a little choked up when he remembers the way Cass not only noticed Mary's old measuring cups hanging up in the kitchen, but immediately realized how important they must be to Dean and suggested making them a part of his logo. This entire job, Dean's entire future, exists because Cass decided to take a chance on some unknown wannabe baker. And yet Cass acts like Dean is the one doing him a favor. If it weren't for the fact that Cass is both his boss and so far out of Dean's league that attempting an actual conversation with the guy, one that doesn't revolve around baked goods at least, would be like showing up to the World Series with a wiffle bat, Dean would be a fool not to try and date him. And of course, if it weren't for CJ. CJ, who is also sweet and generous and thoughtful. CJ, who, in addition to being all those things, has quickly become Dean's best friend and the one person in the world who knows him as well as Sam does. CJ, Dean sighs, who is also faceless, nameless beyond two letters that might not even be part of his real name for all Dean knows, and completely unobtainable. Hell, they've never even spoken on the phone. Not that Dean hasn't thought about it, but he's got no clue if CJ would even be interested in moving their friendship offline, and quite frankly, he's too much of a chicken shit to bring it up. Surely, if CJ were open to that, he would have at least hinted at it by now. Dean can't bring himself to suggest meeting or even exchanging pictures, but maybe he can give CJ an opening and see what he does with it. Test the waters. Random question, but what does a former paper pusher who is temporarily staying with his older brother look like anyway? I'm tired of not having a picture to go with the name in my head. Dean bites his lip nervously as he waits, hoping against hope that CJ will answer his question with a picture and give Dean the sign he needs that the other man is interested in taking their relationship a step further. As he's waiting, Cupcake slinks her way into the bedroom, jumping up onto the bed and flopping down on top of the phone resting on Dean's stomach. Hey, I'm talking to CJ here. Dean protests. You should be nice to him. He saved your little orange furry ass. Licking a long stripe down her own leg, the kitten looks decidedly unimpressed, until the sudden buzzing of Dean's phone causes her to jump up and hiss, digging her claws into the meat of Dean's t-shirt-covered belly. God damn it, Cupcake! He huffs, lifting the kitten in one hand while scooping up his phone with the other. Hmm. I have brown hair and blue eyes which people seem to make an inordinately big deal out of. I'm about six foot, and I think I have what people refer to as an olive complexion. I just know that I don't burn easily in the sun. What about you? Damn, no picture. Dean sighs and lowers Cupcake back down to his stomach, stroking her gently as she rubs her face against his hand in a way that expresses both her appreciation and a demand for more. For a moment, he thinks about just sending his own picture in response to CJ's question, 
but decides that would be pretty presumptuous since C.J. decided to answer his own with text. He's probably pushed their boundaries enough by asking in the first place. The last thing he wants to do is make C.J. uncomfortable, or even worse, make him feel pressured to send Dean a picture when he clearly doesn't want to. I'm six foot two and I have light brown hair and greenish eyes. No olive complexion here, though. Pasty AF and I crisp up like a vampire in the sun. Dean decides not to mention the freckles. The last thing he needs is CJ picturing him like that kid from the sand lot. But D, everyone knows that vampires sparkle in the sun. Damn, now you know my secret. You're right. I'm a glittery son of a bitch. I'm sure you're beautiful. Party herpes and all. Dean snorts, ignoring the way his heart quickens pace at CJ calling him beautiful. He doesn't mean it like that. It's just a joke for fuck's sake. Cupcake looks equally unenthused with his theatrics, lifting her head to look at him with clear disdain. What? Dean asks her. He's funny. Dean decides to take that for agreement. Who the fuck taught you about party herpes? My brother, of course. Though for him, I think it should probably be referred to as strip club herpes. The way you talk about your brother, I picture a cross between Barney Stinson and the Three Stooges. That is an alarmingly accurate description. The way you describe your brother, I picture him as an overgrown human labradoodle. Dean barks out a laugh, once again startling the kitten, who this time expresses her displeasure by pouncing on Dean's face. Oh, get off, you fluffy fleabag, he hisses, shoving at the kitten, though he only pushes her as far as his chest. Also accurate. Funny how we're apparently better at describing our brothers than ourselves, huh? Hmm. I may not have a visual in my head for you, but I like to think I have a pretty clear picture of who you are. Oh yeah? Who am I? As soon as Dean hits send, he knows he's going to regret asking that question. He loses himself in Cupcake's purring as he waits for CJ's answer. You're kind, intelligent, though you don't think you are. Stubborn, determined and loyal to a fault, and you're a natural caretaker, the kind of person who takes in friendless stray kittens and internet strangers without a second thought, just because they need your help. Dean blushes and buries his face in the soft fur of the kitten-turned-internal-combustion engine on his chest. Dude, you've got that backwards. You've done so much for me, so much more than you even know, man. I think you're the kind of person who constantly underestimates his value. I don't think you realize the kind of impact you have on people. At least not on me. I'm just... I'm really glad to know you. I'm very glad to be known, Dee. Especially by you. Groaning, Dean repositions the kitten on his chest until they are nose to nose. How am I not supposed to L-word him when he says shit like that, huh? Answers Cupcake sympathetically, 
bumping her tiny pink nose against his in what he can only assume is a show of kitten solidarity. Dean's sleep is filled that night with strange dreams of C.J.'s words being said to him in a deep, gravelly voice by someone with brown hair and stunning blue eyes. Someone who looks a whole lot like Cass. That will be 1173. Castiel tells the woman with the vibrant rainbow-dyed hair, Can I have a name for your cup? Amanda, she answers immediately, iridescent rainbow locks shimmering in the overhead lights. Castiel smiles as he writes her name in silver sharpie on the dark brown paper cup before passing it off to Linda. Pulling one of the small sheets of parchment paper from the box on the back counter, he uses it to retrieve Amanda's honey-vanilla-glazed croissant from the display case before wrapping the to-go order in a small paper bag with the sweet bean and the family business bakery's logos on it. Here you are, he says, handing her the bag with another smile. And good choice. This one's my favorite. The croissants hadn't actually been part of the opening menu Dean had planned for his baking debut but when he discovered Castiel's fondness for Gabe's honey vanilla ice cream, he'd made a last-minute addition. Even having Charlie place the honey order with the same local beekeeper Gabe orders from in order to keep it a surprise. Castiel knows it's Dean's way of thanking him, which is entirely unnecessary, of course, especially since it's Dean's incredible baking that's going to save the sweet bean. But it's sweet nonetheless. Oh, thanks. It's my third one this week, she confesses with a grimace. I really shouldn't have ordered another, but they're freaking amazing. Castiel's grin widens, and he picks up one of the family business bakery cards, sitting next to the register. In that case, please take a card. Our baker, Dean, is also available for catering orders. He makes delicious cookies and gourmet cupcakes. If you have any special events or birthdays coming up, you can check out his website for details. Thanks, Amanda says, expression brightening as she steps to the side to wait for her chai latte. My best friend's birthday is in a few weeks. I'll have to check him out. Can we have a card, too? One of a trio of college-aged girls ask as they step up to the counter. We'd like to check him out, too. Turning over the card Castiel hands her to reveal Dean's picture on the back, something that Dean was less than enthused about but Charlie insisted would boost sales. The girl immediately blushes. I mean, check it out, the site. Hmm, Cass agrees, not able to keep himself from tossing her a wink. Good idea. The website has a bigger picture. After all, he can't really blame her. He checks Dean out on a nearly hourly basis. It's impossible not to. The girl blushes again but giggles with her friends as they place their iced mocha orders. Castiel continues working through the rush, taking orders and serving Dean's pastries as Linda makes a steady stream of lattes, macchiatos, and cappuccinos next to him. They've only been selling Dean's baked goods for a couple of weeks now, but it's clear that the new additions to their menu are very much appreciated by their clientele. Mornings are always busy for a coffee shop, of course, 
but they're easily selling double the number of pastries they used to sell with their coffee. And though Castiel rarely works the afternoon and evening shifts anymore, since he starts work at four in the morning with Dean, the numbers tell him that they have seen a big uptick in business during those hours as well. Dean's already had a few small catering orders, mainly birthday cakes and requests for a couple of dozen assorted pastries for early morning meetings, which are always made more bearable by free food. But Cass knows this is only the beginning. He has no doubt Dean will soon be swimming in orders, even as the novelty of their new menu wears off and the surge in the sweet beans business settles a bit. Of course, Dean's had an idea for that, too. He suggested that Castiel introduce theme nights at the shop, things that are geared towards the teen and college-age students, all of whom will soon be off for the summer and are well accustomed to drinking large quantities of caffeine in the evenings. Charlie thought it was a great idea as well, and eagerly signed up to help host their first game night. Dean's brother Sam had offered to stop by as well, being one of the home-for-the-summer college students Dean had referenced. Sam just finished up his classes at Omaha last week, and he's been a frequent visitor to The Bean, as some of their younger customers have started nicknaming it, since coming home. Stopping by both to visit Dean and Kevin, who, as it turns out, is a longtime friend of the younger Winchester. Almost as if Castiel's thoughts had summoned him, Sam Winchester steps through the cafe door, just as the last few customers from their morning rush are filtering out. Hi, Cass, Sam greets with a wide smile, using the nickname he'd picked up from Dean. Castiel finds he likes hearing Sam call him that as well, not perhaps as much as he likes hearing that name in Dean's deep baritone but there's still a sense of comfort and belonging when it comes from Sam that is endearing. Being able to effortlessly pull people into their circle and make them feel included must be a Winchester family trait. Good morning, Sam, Castiel says with an answering grin and a warning glance at Linda, who sniffs. Uh, good morning, Mrs. Tran, Sam says nervously ducking his head, which is almost comical given that it still leaves him a good six inches taller than the petite barista. Good morning, Samuel, comes Linda's crisp response. While seeing Sam up and functional well before midday seems to have somewhat improved Linda's opinion on her son's shiftless layabout friend, she's still needlessly hard on the boy. Castiel is fairly certain it's her way of showing affection. Out applying for summer jobs, are you? Actually, I've already found one, Sam responds brightly. I'm going to be working at the roadhouse, where Dean used to work. Linda wrinkles her nose. Isn't that a bar? It's a restaurant, too, Sam immediately defends, adding. I won't be working in the bar, though. I'll mainly be bussing tables and washing dishes, and sweeping the floors, and whatever else my Aunt Ellen needs done. Your aunt? Castiel asks curiously. He hadn't realized it was another family business he'd pulled Dean away from. He wonders if he should feel guilty about that, but can't quite bring himself to, seeing how happy and successful Dean has been here already. Not really, my aunt, Sam answers as Castiel hands him the blueberry muffin he knows Sam was about to order. She's an old family friend, helped us out a lot after my parents passed away. Castiel's eyebrows lift, 
but he doesn't say anything. He'd known about Dean's mom's passing from their conversation about naming the family business bakery, but this is the first he'd heard about their father. He resists the urge to press Sam for more information. The young man is much more open than his older brother, but as much as he would like to know more about Dean, Castiel will respect the man's privacy. Dean seems to be the kind of man who speaks more with actions than words. The honey-glazed croissants calling to Castiel from the pastry display a case in point. It's both endearing and frustrating, since it feels like Dean keeps people at arm's length, and Castiel would really like to get to know him better. He can't help but feel like there is so much more to Dean than meets the eye. Maybe it's because so many of the things Dean says reminds him of Dee, who is Dean's opposite in this particular regard. While both men are always ready with a joke, Dean's accompanied by a wink and a smirk that causes Castiel's stomach to somersault. Dean seems to use his humor as a shield, deflecting any personal questions or deepening of conversation. Dee, on the other hand, has been as generous when it comes to sharing his thoughts and feelings with Castiel as he has been sparing on the more concrete details of his offline life. Both men leave Castiel feeling like he's only scratched the surface, and he wants more. It doesn't help that Dean seems to be even more reserved in what he shares now than when he was when they first met at baking class. Castiel figures it must be because they're working together now, and he certainly needs to respect that. Professional boundaries are a good and necessary thing, especially when one's co-worker looks like the human incarnation of a Greek god. At least he doesn't have to worry about that with Dee, though. Intangible though his internet friend may be, he fills Castiel's days and evenings with conversation, flirting, and laughter. Mentally shaking himself to dispel thoughts of Dee, a regular occurrence for Castiel these days, he refocuses on Sam. That's great, Sam. Congratulations on the job. Thanks. Dean's not excited about the idea of me working, but he doesn't really have a leg to stand on since he's been working since he was 14. Have you never had a job before? Castiel asks curiously, telling himself that he's asking to learn more about Sam and not about Dean which definitely does not violate his promise to avoid digging into Dean's personal life. Not really, Sam shrugs. I tried to convince Dean to let me get a job in high school so we could get a dog or cat, but he wouldn't let me. You needed to focus on school so you could get that fancy college scholarship of yours, Dean defends as he walks into the front of the store, a long tray of pastries in hand, to restock the display case that was ravaged by their morning rush. Linda nods approvingly before slipping down the hallway to take her break. Besides, Dean adds with a grin for Sam that speaks of an inside joke. You know I'm allergic to cats. You are? Castiel asks, unexpectedly disappointed by this news. Don't listen to him, Cass, Sam says with a fond eye roll. He's not allergic to cats. He just doesn't like them, or so he says. He adds, casting a significant look at Dean that once again tells Castiel he's missing the joke. He used to lie and tell me he was allergic to any kind of animal I wanted for a pet. 
Castiel feels his heart sink further, which is ridiculous. So Dean's not an animal lover. What does that matter? It's not like he's actually been entertaining the idea of even having a friendship with Dean outside of work, let alone the kind of relationship that would make their pet preferences relevant. Hey, those weren't lies. I could have been allergic. You don't know. To a goldfish, Dean? Scale dander might totally be a thing. Besides, he reasons as the brothers take their playful bickering to a nearby table with a wink and a wave to Castiel. Not having enjoyed animals in the past doesn't mean Dean can't change his mind in the future. Look at Dee. He had told Castiel early on that he wasn't really a cat person. But Cupcake the kitten has clearly had the man wrapped around all four of her little paws, which is beyond adorable. Castiel is thrilled by the never-ending stream of cupcake videos Dee sends him, with the kitten in various states of play and sleep. The fact that the videos of cupcake purring on Dee's chest or stomach give him tantalizing glimpses of the man he's frankly become desperate to see more of is entirely beside the point. He wonders for the hundredth time since their conversation a few weeks ago, when Dee asked what he looked like, if he should have suggested that they trade pictures. He'd thought about it at the time, but had gotten nervous. Wouldn't Dee have asked for a picture if that's what he wanted? Or at least sent Castiel one to let him know it was okay? He'd even taken a few selfies with his phone in preparation to send them. But before he could decide which one to send, the conversation had moved on and the moment had passed. Castiel hadn't been sure how to bring it up again, and so continued to languish over the few images he had of Dee. A t-shirt-clad abdomen here, a denim-wrapped thigh there, the occasional bit of tanned neck or muscular forearm. It doesn't help, of course, that Dee's generic description of himself could easily be adjusted to match the sandy brown hair and gold-flecked green eyes of another unbelievably attractive man he knows. The coincidental appearance makes this entire Dean versus Dee situation even more confusing especially during the private moments Castiel steals for himself in the shower when Gabe's still out doing whatever, or whoever, it is that Gabe does in the evenings. Not that Castiel is trying to picture either man, of course not, but he can hardly help where his mind wanders in the moment. He tried to avoid the entire situation altogether at first, feeling so guilty about having those kinds of thoughts about his friend and co-worker in the first place let alone at the same time. But the combination of Dee's constant flirting and Dean's constant looking like Dean has Castiel more sexually frustrated than he's been since his early teen years. Dean's booming laugh from across the dining room brings Castiel back to himself with a jolt, his face flushing a deep red as he realizes where his mind had wandered at work. When Linda returns from her break a moment later, Castiel escapes from the front of the shop, heading for a much-needed breather in the kitchen's walk-in cooler. Thank you so much for your support. I can be contacted on Twitter, Tumblr, or at makingitupaswegopod at gmail.com. If you are able, please go to the author's AO3 story and give comments and kudos to them for sharing this with us. 
The link is in the show notes. This will also be posted on AO3 as a podfic under my username, and the link will be in the show notes as well. As always, thank you so much for listening.